0: you're listening to understanding sin and evil dr miriam brand on the bible the dead sea scrolls and the ancient world learn more at understandingsin.com hello and welcome to another episode of understanding sin and evil this is dr miriam brand i am back and I'm going to try something a little bit different this time. My friend Melissa Cantor is here with me. And she is going to ask me questions where appropriate in the, uh, in the podcast. And um, I'm hoping that this will make it a little bit more accessible. And it also makes it a little bit easier for me because I'm not talking to an empty room. Which, if any of you have ever tried it, you know that it can be difficult. In this week's episode, we're going to be discussing Bliyal in the War Scroll. Now, it's been a while since our last episode, so for those of you who are my faithful listeners and have been waiting, let's uh, remind ourselves about what we have already discussed. Uh, we talked about Blial, the kind of demonic figure of bliyal, and how Blial is used by the Kormoran community in the Community Rule and in the Damascus document. Now, if you remember it's, Blial is actually used quite differently in each. Where in the community rule, Blial actually really divides between the members of the community and the non-members of the community. Where the non-members of the community are really considered kind of the members of Blial's lot, not kind of, they're actually considered the members of Blial's lot, they're almost demonic. And we talked a little bit about how in the community rule, It actually seems to be taking a curse that was originally intended for Blial and his spirits and removing Blial and his spirits and turning the curse to Blial's human minions, namely the non-members. And then we looked at the Damascus document, and we saw that in the Damascus document, there's kind of a kinder, gentler Blial, where instead of saying that non-members are actually members of Blial's lot, it's Blial is presented as a misleading force. Blial is the reason that these poor, misguided non-members don't follow the law of the community, even though the law of the community is, is actually correct. And only members of the community are actually immune to Blial's influence. So that as opposed to the community rule, which was almost using, which was using Blial to demonize non-members. The Damascus document was using Blial as an excuse for non-members, as a way to kind of say, well, you know, I mean, it doesn't mean that that these not poor non-members are not doomed, and they may very well be doomed. However, we can understand that the reason is they've simply been misled by Blial to think that the wrong law is the correct law. Now, I just want to make clear that I do not believe in Blial. I do not support believing in Blial. I am talking about people who did believe in Blial. I'm talking about Jews in the Second Temple period who believed in a spirit called Blial. And now we're going to go to the War Scroll and see how it uses Blial. And we'll see that while there's, there's kind of a mix, even though it really tends more toward the community rule view, of Blial and use of Blial to define non-members as belonging to kind of demonic sect. However, the war scroll does not focus as much on Jewish non-members as on enemy nations. And that's a switch because we haven't really seen this yet in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mainly they've been focusing either on actual demons or on Jewish non-members of the community. They haven't really been talking about enemy nations. Remember, this is a teeny little group. They're in the, they're living near the Dead Sea. Probably, maybe there are different communities in different areas, but they're not really dealing a lot with major political issues. They're not in power. However, we will see that, um, that in this case, in the war scroll, there is a real concern with enemy nations. And we're going to bring in the first chapter of Jubilees where we see a similar concern. Now, uh, you didn't hear it, but Melissa just actually asked about an important point, which is why do we see such differences between the approach of the community rule and the approach of the Damascus document, and then once again in the war Scroll where we're back to kind of these really, these really divisive depictions of non-members. So what's possibly going on and i think i mentioned this when i was co- comparing the community role in the damascus document is that there they seem to be coming from different stages of the community different points in the community and in the, where the damascus document seems to have been written at a time when they had more connections to outside the community or at least were not did not feel uh, the need to 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 sequester themselves from those outside the community, whereas in the community rule, you're already seeing a group that's much more insular. So the question is, what about the War Scroll? And actually, um, Duhamel, who's one of the main researchers of the War of the War Scroll, has said that there's good reason to believe that the War Scroll actually predates the community. He's really relying on the fact that the word yachad, which particularly in the community rule, the word yachad is used to always to depict the community. So we see the word yachad quite a bit in the war scroll, but only in the meaning really of kind of together um, or to to depict some kind of togetherness, but not as a name for the community. So because of this, Duane thinks that perhaps the war scroll actually originated from an earlier time following the uh, the Maccabean revolt so from the very early to- early period right after the Maccabean revolt and so reflects a much more as i as i mentioned in the war scroll yes there's a big division between you know the the children of light and the children of darkness but the main children of darkness are actually the other nations yes there are also um also Jews who don't belong to the group or don't belong to the, the righteous people, but the main enemy are the enemy nations in the war scroll. And so that could be why we see blial being used in that way in the war scroll. Okay, now, so what is the war scroll? The war scroll is a document that describes the apocalyptic war that is going to occur between the children of light and the children of darkness. Now, of course, the children of light are those who are members of the sect, and the children of darkness are everyone else. And in this case, this includes enemy nations. So what, what does that sound like? Let's read the beginning of the War Scroll. So the War Scroll begins, and if you want to look this up yourself, uh, the War Scroll's uh, number is it's 1Q33 or 1Q Mechama, or 1Q War, it was one of those scrolls that were first found, they are found in Cave 1, and if you will recall, caves are numbered in the order in which they were found. So the war scroll was in Cave 1, and it's numbered 33. So 1Q 33, starting from the very beginning. (laughs) The beginning of the children of light attacking the Goral, the lot of the children of darkness in the army of Blial will be against the troops of Edom, Moab, the children of Ammon, and something we're missing something there, Pleshet, which is Philistia, and the troops of the Kitim of Ashur. The Kitim of Ashur probably refers to the Romans. So these are the children of darkness, I'm going to repeat. The children of darkness in the army of Blial are the troops of Edom, Moab, the children of Ammon, Pleshet, which are the Philistines, and the Kitim of Ashur, which is what is calling the Romans. Okay, and the children of light will be against them. That was the against in that sentence. Supporting them, in other words, supporting these bad guys, are those who have violated the covenant. In other words, we have these enemy nations, and those who support them are the Jews who have violated the covenant. So note that the main enemy here really are these enemy nations. And those enemy nations in general reflect the classic biblical enemies of Israel plus the Romans. So we've got everyone covered. So who are the children of light? The sons, I'm reading once again, the sons of Levi, the sons of Judah, and the sons of Benjamin, those exiled to the wilderness. shall fight against them with, something's missing, against all their troops when the exiles of the children of light return from the wilderness of the peoples to camp in the wilderness of Jerusalem. Now, why are we why do we see this reflection? Of wilderness, wilderness, wilderness. Wilderness is a translation of midbar, right? The, the, what we usually translate as desert incorrectly because it means wilderness. Um, and the idea is, it's kind of repeating the idea of um, the exile as it were in Egypt, coming out of Egypt. Go, you have to go through the desert. It's also probably reflecting the idea in Hosea that. We renew the covenant in the desert, and it's again, which is again also that idea of going back to the desert where we received the Torah. So they're talking about everything's the wilderness. They were exiled, and now they're going to come back, and they're going to camp in the wilderness of Jerusalem. In other words, the area that's around Jerusalem. So we have Levi, Judah, and Benjamin, and they are, they are reflecting here. The, the, these names of tribes are reflecting the community or whoever the author of the war scroll considers, right, the righteous Jews. And they're going to be fighting these enemy nations who are assisted with the kind of the sinning Jews. And we're missing a piece, and it says, In his time he shall go forth with great wrath to do battle against the kings of the north, and in his anger he shall set out to destroy and eliminate the strength of something. We can assume, I think, that it's probably God who's battling the enemies. A time of salvation for the people of God. We're we're missing a piece once again. A time of salvation for the people of God and a time of dominion for all the men of his forces and eternal annihilation for all the forces of Blial. This is what they're looking forward to. They're looking forward to, if you remember, we called the time when Blial can rule, uh, the community calls it the time of the the dominion of Blial, Memshelet Blial. And they're looking forward to a time when that dominion is over. And on the contrary, the dominion will be of God's lot, of the children of God, as it were, instead of the children of Bliao, or the people of God, instead of the <laughs> forces of Blyau. So, it, and unfortunately, it's very fragmentary here. So, so it's sometimes a little bit difficult to follow. There shall be great panic. The sons of Japheth, Ashur, shall fall with no one to come to his aid, and the supremacy of the Kittim, remember those are the Romans, shall cease. That wickedness will be overcome without a remnant. There shall be no survivors of the sons of darkness. Okay, this is very important. The the rule of the Romans will end. And it's very interesting because, well, of course, no, no Jew is going to, going to um, imagine the Messianic Age with foreign rule over Jerusalem. But here it's really referring quite specifically to Roman rule in Jerusalem. Roman rule in Jerusalem shall end. Now, I'd just like to remind you that the whole idea of a dominion of Blial, on the one hand, it explains why bad things are happening to the community now, Um, and why God kind of allows it, because there's this dominion of Blial in the present period. And the way out, the way that you could say, well, God allows it is this is kind of a predestined time, which then will end with the apocalyptic age where all evils wiped out. And that hope for an apocalyptic age, somehow to the members of the community and perhaps to those who, who preceded them, Made it okay that there's a current dominion of Blial. Now Blial is never at the level of God, and in fact, uh, that's one of the problems that the author of the War Scroll deals with. And so, what the author of the War Scroll does is he pits Blial against kind of the head angel, right, Michael, Michael, right, or the Prince of Light. So you have Blial not opposing God but opposing the angel. And then he has to kind of uh, maneuver between the two ideas that, on the one hand, Blial can't be opposed by God, but on the other, the Jews are supposed to be led by God and not by an angel. Right? And that's a, tradi- that's a pretty strong tradition. So he's kind of negotiating between those two stances. However, Blial is never presented on the level of God. And that's part, that's part of the purpose of the apocalypse, right, is not just to promise hope, which, of course, is a big deal, but also to say that uh, you see Blial is not in the level of God. God's going to wipe Blyal off, out. And God will wipe Blial out when he wants to do it. He's not restricted in any way. It was a decision that we can't fathom that God decided to let Blial give Blial a certain amount of free reign. Okay, so continuing on. So we were where the dominion of the children of righteousness, the children of light, the people of God, their dominion will begin, okay, when there are no survivors of the sons of darkness, or the children of darkness. Then the children of righteousness shall shine to all ends of the world, continuing to shine forth until the end of the appointed, appointed seasons of darkness, Then at the time appointed by God, his great excellence shall shine for all the times of something for peace and blessing, glory and joy, and long life for all sons of light. On the day, or children of light, I should say. On the day when the Kitim fall, the Romans again, when the day when the Kitim fall, there shall be a battle and horrible carnage before the God of Israel. For it is a day appointed by him from ancient times as a battle of annihilation for the children of darkness. On that day, the congregation of the gods and the congregation of men shall engage one another, really the congregation of the angels and the congregation of men shall engage one another, resulting in great carnage. The sons of light and the forces of darkness shall fight together to show the strength of God with the roar of a great multitude and the shout of angels and men, a day of disaster. It is a time of distress for all the people who are redeemed by God. Now I want to point this out. The war scroll actually sets up a situation where there are a series of battles and some battles are lost. By the children of righteousness, by the children of light. Not every battle is a victory for the good guys, and there are losses. Okay, it's an interesting way of kind of setting up the apocalypse, where there are tremendous losses to the good guys. So it's kind of, um, if you remember the end of the Hobbit, that kind of situation. So again. "'The sons of light, or the children of light, "'and the forces of darkness shall fight together "'to show the strength of God "'with the roar of a great multitude "'and the shout of angels and men a day of disaster. "'It is a time of distress for all the people "'who are redeemed by God. "'In all their afflictions, none exists that is like it, "'hastening to its completion as an eternal redemption. "'On the day of their battle against the Kittim, "'they shall go forth for carnage in battle.' In three lots, the children of light shall stand firm so as to strike a blow at wickedness. And in three, the army of Blial shall strengthen themselves so as to force the retreat of the forces. In other words, they'll win three and they'll lose three. And then we have a gap. The banners of the infantry cause their hearts to melt, then the strength of God will strengthen the hearts of the children of light. In the seventh lot, the great hand of God shall overcome. So in the seventh battle, that's where it's that's going to be the the deciding battle, and the children of light will win. So here we already see the setup of this apocalyptic series of battles. And the war score really goes into detail about how these battles are going to be fought, and it seems to reflect actual uh, some kind of actual contemporary manual of war that the author is kind of referring to, so that he knows how battles are fought, you know, and what um, and in terms of battle strategy, battle formations, etc., and weapons. So this is really a day of the Lord situation. In other words, it's reflecting. It's another. A permutation of the tradition of there being an apocalyptic day of the Lord with a battle between Israel and the nations that we see in so many biblical prophets. So what is the role of Blial in this scroll? So Blial's role is pretty important because Blial is throughout the war scroll. He leads the enemy forces and he's in charge of the children of darkness and he's 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 the one who's going up against the leader of the children of light namely the righteous Jews who are led again by the prince of light by 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 Michael by Michael now the idea that there are going to be losses on the on, for, from the good guys at the same time there's a there's a place where there's a parallel drawn between those lost from the righteous side and the sons of Aaron who brought a strange fire before God and were were killed for that. So perhaps you'll know, be with none of Avihu. So perhaps what it's hinting at is that it's really kind of a a purge in a way that the good guys who die are good guys who weren't perfectly good. And so if someone feels that they're really righteous, this still might be a time to look forward to. Actually, it's certainly a time to look forward to because they're looking forward to the end of evil. And at the same time, it reflects certain biblical traditions which see the day of the Lord as not complete. It's particularly Amos, who sees the day of the Lord as, you know, why are you looking forward to the day of the Lord? It's a day of darkness and not light right? There's, a, there's an idea that it's going to be a nightmare for everyone before the final end of evil or the end, final end of the bad guys. So this reflects that sort of tradition. But in the continuation of the war scroll, Blial is continually the leader of the enemy military forces. And again, those forces are mainly consist of foreign nations. Now, in this, Blial actually, there's actually a parallel to the one place where Blial shows up in the Book of Jubilees. And in fact, and in fact, there are other places where the War Scroll seems to be reflecting Jubilees and trying to bring the Mastema character from Jubilees into Blial's character in the war scroll. But in Jubilees, in the very first chapter. Which is unusual. We have a prayer by Moshe against Bliah, and this is unusual because I'll just remind remind you that Jubilees really focuses on on Mastema as the evil as the bad guy. It has the Watchers in the beginning, and then it, it quickly switches to Mastema as the main bad guy. And yet, in the very first chapter, you have Blial. And it's possible that this chapter was added later by the actual Qumran community because, if you recall, Blial was really their demon of choice, you could say. Nevertheless, it is there. And what we see is that Blial's role in the first chapter of Jubilees is very much uh, reflective of the enmity of the nations. Uh, I'll read it to you and you'll see exactly what I mean. So this is, this is the prayer of Moshe at the beginning of Jubilees. It's chapter 1, um, verses 19 to 21. So Moshe says, Lord my God, do not allow your people and your heritage to go along in the error of their hearts, and do not deliver them into the control of the nations with the result that they, namely the nations, rule over them lest they make them sin against you. May your mercy, Lord, be lifted over your people. Create for them a just spirit. May the spirit of Blial not rule them, so as to bring charges against them before you, and to trap them away from every proper path, so that they may be destroyed from your presence. They are your people and your heritage, etc. So, what do we see here in the in the beginning of Jubilees? We see that there's a parallel drawn between the rule of the enemy nations, which causes sin. Again, do not deliver them into the control of the nations with the result that they rule over them, lest they make them sin against you. And at the same time, in the same breath, right? may the spirit of Blial not rule them, so as to bring charges against them before you and to trap them away from every proper path. In other words, who causes sin among the Jews, among the nation of Israel? It is the rule of enemy nations rule of other nations and the rule of Blial so here while Blial doesn't rule the nations himself there's a very clear parallel drawn between the rule of nations and the rule of Blial and then we get to the war scroll where Blial himself is actually leading the enemy nations So let's continue now to our war scroll and we'll see that there are are cases where the author of the war war scroll is trying to say or hint that Blial is actually really Mastema or at least fulfilling Mastema's function. The nature of Blial in the war scroll is explored in a very interesting way in a hymn that we find within the war scroll itself so let's read it it's in column thirteen lines one to sixteen. now I'd like to remind you that when we talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls as opposed to when we talk about, let's say, a book like Jubilees, where we more or less have the book, when we talk about Dead Sea Scrolls, we usually talk in terms of columns and lines. We don't talk in terms of verses because we don't have all the verses, right So um, right now, uh, I'm meaning from column thirteen lines one to sixteen. Here we have priests, Levites, and elders, and they're going to enact a ceremony, which is a little like what we found in the community rule and in 4Q Brachot, way back when we were discussing it, in episode 13. They shall bless from their position the God of Israel and all his truthful works. They shall denounce their Blial and the spirits of his lot. They shall speak up Saying, blessed be the God of Israel for all his holy plan and his truthful works. Blessed be all who serve him righteously and know him faithfully. Cursed be Blial for the hostile plan. And the words used here are machshevet mastema. Right? The thoughts of Mastema. Right? Again, reflecting the possible desire to kind of bring Mastema into the character of Blial. Blial has thoughts of hostility, namely thoughts of Mastema, like the character Mastema in Jubilees. So, he's cursed for his hostile plan, Machhevet Mastema, denou- and may he be denounced for his guilty authority. Cursed be all the spirits of his lot for their wicked plan, and may they be denounced for all their service of impure uncleanliness. For they are the lot of darkness, but the lot of God is for everlasting light. So just like in the community rule, here we are contrasting two lots, that of God and that of Leal. But not like in the community rule, the community is cursing Blial and his spirit minions directly. Who are we cursing? Not the people here, but Blyal and his spirits. Now this is unlike other references we have to the lot of Blial and the War Scroll. Here, the curse is not about human beings. Elsewhere, we really have a, um, a focus on human beings in the War Scroll. You have the bad guys and the good guys. They're mainly humans. But here, the focus is solely on demons. So that emphasizes actually how otherworldly these battles are supposed to be. The people who are in them are fighting demons, even if they seem to be mainly fighting humans. And there, there are both camps on both sides. In other words, you have the spirits and the humans on either side. Now here, Leal and his demons are denounced for their plotting. So this may be an implication that what they're actually being cursed for is their influence over human beings as opposed to what they're actually doing. They're influencing human beings to be evil and that's what they're being cursed for. But following this curse of Blial, uh, we find a really surprising declaration. I'm reading here uh, lines 10 to 12. The Prince of Light long ago, you, that is God, appointed to assist us, and here we're missing a word, all the spirits of truth are under his dominion. You have made Blial to corrupt a hostile angel, Malach Mastema. And that's actually the name of the angel Mastema. So what you could even read it as, you have made Blial to corrupt, he is the angel Mastema. And here we're seeing once again, this kind of desire to conflate these two characters, the bad guy in Jubilees and the classic bad guy of the community, Blial. So you have made Blial to corrupt a hostile angel, Malach Mastema in the darkness uh, we're missing something by his counsel to cause wickedness and to accuse all the spirits of his lot, angels of destruction go about according to the statutes of darkness towards it is their one desire and by the way that's a reflection of the oracle to kyan i've mentioned it before um towards it is their one desire the angels of destruction um, their desire is toward the statues of darkness. Like if you recall in the Oracle to Cain, um, the desire of sin is to you and you shall rule over it. So they're, they're kind of being compared to sin here. If you missed it, you can go back to my episode on Cain. Way back in episode two. So, God here is behind the existence of Blial. It's very clear that the author wants to make it crystal clear that God is behind Blial's existence. I'm going to say, read it again, you have made Blial to corrupt. So, God is behind the existence of Blial. Now, as usual, I'm going to ask why would we want to say something like that? What would be the reason to say that God has created such a, an awful, evil demon? This is a solution to the theological problem of if you have a really powerful demon in a monotheistic system. He's got to be under God, otherwise, it's not a monotheistic system anymore. Right? So, the power of Blial would seem to challenge, as it were, the supremacy of God. So, here, the curse of Blial which we read before, which is juxtaposed directly with a blessing of God, also implies kind of an, an equivalence of power. It implies that, there, that there's some kind of there's some kind of equality there. So you need a statement like this, right, to say that we may have had this kind of curse and blessing this parallel, but we know that God created Blyat. God created Blyat for a specific function, which is to corrupt. Kind of a, one seems like kind of a psychic, Satanic function, the way uh, we think of Satan in the modern age, right? The Satan's supposed to tempt people. So, this is the same sort of thing where Lial was created to corrupt, and it, it's, it's a difficult situation to deal with theologically, but what it solves is the, the danger of the equivalency that is, seems to be set up between Lial and God. We're saying, no, 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 they are not equal. God created Blial. Right? So that subordinates Blial to God. Blial is really a tool of God's will, even if we don't understand why such a tool is needed. Right? His function seems to be completely bad. So now the influence of Jubilees is clear throughout this section, because the description of Blial's function as causing evil and accusing Right is is very similar to the description of Blial in Jubilees in the first chapter of Jubilees, and there also Blial is a functionary of God whose job it is to lead astray and to accuse. So here Blial's function of corrupting and and um, accusing is parallel to the function that he has in the first chapter of Jubilees. That is in the first chapter of Jubilees, it says, May the spirit of Blial not rule them so as to bring charges against them before you. In other words, Blial both causes people to sin and then accuses them before God. And also, by the way, the function of Mastema when he takes over the Watcher spirits, if you'll recall from our Jubilees episode. That is episode number six. In addition, Blial's spirits in this section, like Mastema spirits in Jubilees 10, are described as destroying indiscriminately. So it's very possible that this section of the War Scroll results from kind of a harmonistic reading of Jubilees, which identifies Mastema with Bliah, And as we said, you know, Blial is actually being called the angel Mastema. So there seems to be a desire to kind of conflate them here. Oh, you know that guy Mastema that you read about in Jubilees? Because we're all reading Jubilees, right? It's a fun book. That guy Mastema is Blial. So uh, Melissa actually just asked, uh, in terms of what kind of evil does Blial cause? And it's it's spoken about in very general terms here. Uh, it sounds like um, you. it's probably the whole gamut. In other words, probably we're talking about both things like physical evil, like a disease, like bad things happening, also instigating evil people to torment other people, as well as instigating, for example, Jews to go against God's will, which would be like, you know, eating something impure or anything like that. So I don't think that there, there isn't necessarily a distinction here between, let's say, causing violence and causing someone to eat the wrong meat. Right. They're both bad things, but it's not going to be. So, for example, uh, what does it mean with that Blial's leading these nations? These nations are enemies of Israel who fight Israel. Right. So they cause, they kill, you know, or they rule over Israel when they shouldn't be ruling over Israel. So that's one kind of evil. And then you have the Jews who are helping them. So the question is: Are the Jews helping them just because they are traitors, like they're political traitors, or are they helping them because they are wicked Jews? You understand? Like, like they're 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 kind of going against what Jews are supposed to be doing, and probably both is is true. It's probably less. And 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 again, what's interesting is that. Uh, probably how we would interpret what it means to be a Jewish member of that lot in the war scroll depends a lot on when it's written. Because if it's written kind of right after the... um, the Hasmonean Revolt, and perhaps it's actually talking about Hellenizers who were seen as traitors, not just as Hellenizers, but as people who belong to the other, to the other political group. Or you know, if, it's, if it was written later, then it would be closer to a non-political designation to say, oh, if we're talking evil people and we have to get rid of all the evil people, so we'll put the evil Jews there with all the, all the enemy nations, even though they're just kind of an add-on. Right, because they're, they're not the central part of, they're not the main enemy in the war scroll. In the war scroll, we're really talking a lot about enemy nations and ending Roman rule. Um, that seems to be quite, quite central in the war scroll. However, um, going back now, and now, now I'm going back to the whole question of Blial as God's creation. We had this curse of Blial as opposed to blessing of God right, which seemed to imply some kind of equivalency. And then we had the declaration that God created plia. Now, the declaration of Blyau is, is God's creation, though, is um, as we notice, it's a little bit incongruous with the with the curse where, in which in which you're simply just cursing Blyalla as this, you know this horrible this horrible demon. So uh, Duham notes that this section adds new vocabulary and concepts in the war. So usually when you have vocabulary and concepts that you don't have in the rest of a text, it usually means it's a later edition. So he he thinks that this is a later edition. So that that it that. Um, the way, way uh, Duham reads the War Scroll, the whole dualistic nature of it where you have the Prince of Light against Blial was kind of a later addition and that it was kind of added to the War Scroll as a layer. So here we have um, this idea that we're going to oppose Blial with the Prince of Light. So we don't have this problem of Blial being opposed by God. I'm going to say state very clearly that God that God is Blial's creator. So this is not um, the only place where you have the Prince of Light against Blial. I'm going to read that section to you again because I just read it once. The Prince of Light long ago, you that is God, appointed to assist us. All the spirits of truth were under his dominion, and you have made Blial to corrupt. So that's setting up Prince of Light versus Blial, and we have that also later on in in column seventeen, uh, line six to seven. Uh, Michael is described as the leader of the Israelite troops. Michael is the is the leader of of the troops opposing Blial. So that's another place where you have the dualism of the scroll is really. Uh, The dualism, a dualism not between God and Blial, but an angel and Blial, which is much more comfortable in a monotheistic framework. Now, the second passage that illuminates the role of Blial in the redacted war scroll, that means in the war scroll with all the additions of the war scroll as we have it, Uh, which is the description of the predestination of the children of light and the children of darkness. And that means that from the beginning of time, the children of light and the children of darkness were essentially designated. So that shows a real correspondence to certain ideas in Jubilees. I'm going to read it now, um, and then we're going to delve into it. So I'm reading uh, column 14, lines 8 to 11. And we are the remnant... Your name, O merciful God, you who keep the covenant for our fathers and with all our generations, you have shown through wonders your mercy for the remnant during the dominion of Blial. With all the mysteries of his hatred, and it's using the same root as we have for Mastema, sitmato, right? Uh, He has not repelled us from your Covenant. So, with all the mysteries of his hatred, of Blial's hatred, that is, he has not repelled us from your covenant. You have driven his spirits of destruction from us, something the men of his dominion. You preserve the soul of those you have redeemed. What's going on here? It's clear that Blial was trying to lead us astray. As Mastema, leads, as Mastema leads people astray in Jubilees, as that's Mastema's role, if you will remember, if you'll recall. Blial tried to lead us astray, and you, God, protected us from him. This actually reflects two different ideas. One with Blial, if you will recall, in the Damascus document, members of only members of the community are immune to Blial's traps, right? It's the truly righteous members of the community who cannot be tricked by Blial. At the same time, in jubilees, if you will remember what we said about jubilees, jubilees has a whole string of blessings and prayers of the righteous for their children. Which, to the audience, particularly the audience of who, the people who would consider themselves righteous Jews, that would be the audience of jubilees. People thinking of themselves as we are righteous Jews, they would hear the story that. In numerous generations, there have been prayers and blessings meant to protect them from the influence of these demonic powers of Mastema of Blial. So Moshe prays that Israel not be under the influence of Blial, and then we have prayers—a prayer from Noah that his grandchildren would be protected from the influence of evil spirits—and we have the blessing of Avraham to Yaakov that his descendants would not. Be affected by mastema, and so anyone who was listening carefully to Jubilees or reading Jubilees carefully would say, "I, as a righteous uh, Jew and therefore descendant of Yaakov of Jacob, um, I am protected from this demonic influence." And here we and in in and again in the Damascus Document, it makes it clear that members of the community are protected from Blial's influence. And here we have this statement saying, uh, we are the remnant, God, you have protected us from Blial and his hatred. And his hatred, and his hatred, which is using the same root as mastema. So you've, you've protected us from that. You've driven his spirits of destruction from us. Um, you preserve the soul of those who have redeemed. You've raised up the fallen by your vigor, but the men of high stature you have hewn down. For all their mighty men, there is no deliverer. For their swift, there is no refuge. And of course, it's talking about probably the heroes of the enemy. So um, so here we have parallels with Jubilees and we also have parallels with, for example, the Damascus document in terms of protection that God protects the truly righteous from both demonic influence and demonic harm. So I'm just going to sum up now the different ways that Jubilees seems to have influenced the war scroll or that it seems to be connected to the war scroll. We have in Jubilees we have the rule of Blial being in parallel to the rule of, of, of nations. And here we have Blial himself leading nations. In Jubilees we have the angel Mastema. And here we have Blial continuously used with the root. Or sometimes called the of of Masema, and sometimes called the angel Masema himself. Um, we have the idea that uh, Blial, like Masema, uh, misleads and corrupts. That Blial, like Masema, is a functionary of God. That God has created Blial. Uh, we have the idea that the righteous are protected from Blial, um, and as as they're protected from Blial uh, from Masema and Blial in Jubilees, and from Blial himself in the Damascus document. So we can see, so the war scroll is in a way a window into how Jubilees could have been understood by certain members of the Qumran community. So they, they simply transferred traits of Mastema to Blial, and they thought of Blial essentially as Mastema. Mastema could be a different name for Blial. Blial takes on the traits of Mastema, and while Blial is, is uh directly opposed by the Prince of Light, by the angel of light, which is Michael, he's actually under God. Right? So he, he functions within a dualistic system, but he's subordinate to God. And while Blial leads troops into physical battle against the children of light, he can't, he and his spirits cannot lead the truly righteous astray spiritually because they are under God's protection. And yet in the actual battle, in the actual apocalyptic war, remember that the righteous will lose three battles and win three battles. And then in the final seventh, it's the final seventh that will determine the winner, which must be God. God must be the winner. Um, You did not hear it, but Melissa earlier asked, what if Lial?" One, what would happen? The answer is Blyal can't win. There is no what if Blyal. Blyal cannot win. That is already determined. The same way it's determined, you know, if I'm speaking as a member of the community or the, the intended audience of the war scroll, just as it has been determined that I am righteous, period, even if I messed up yesterday. I'm still righteous, right? I know I'm righteous, right? And that's not going to change. It cannot be. God can't lose because he's God. So, in the final analysis, Blial cannot win, and in fact, this forms the kind of the basis of understanding and of allowing liaal' current rule okay liaal 's rule can be accepted today because it must end and it must end because God is in charge and that 's a very basic idea for the community and for fr- and frankly for many religious communities today essentially any religious community that believes in some kind of apocalyptic end where all evil is destroyed, usually this is meant to somehow excuse the evil that happens today. How can it be, how can we handle death while well, in the end there will be no death? How can we handle this horrible thing that happened to my neighbor Well, in the end this will all be reversed and there will be no evil. That's how even today, many members of of, of of religious communities wear some kind of apocalyptic or messianic eschaton that is end of days is a function of the belief. It's meant to help people deal with evil today. Now, I, I'd like to note here that one thing that the Qumran community does not really use, which is a major feature of many of today's, you could say, um, Judeo-Christian believers, is this idea of an afterlife. An afterlife, I don't mean coming back to life at the end of days. And there's a question, the degree to which the Qumran community believes in that. They seem to have believed in it. The question is, how central was it to them? That is a question. But uh, because it does not seem to be particularly central. You know, spoiler. However, they don't talk about some kind of existence, some kind of great existence in heaven. In general, in most Second Temple literature, when people talk about an existence beyond death, it's kind of waiting. You're kind of in a, a limbo, not a bad limbo, but just kind of waiting. For the end of days when all this is going to be settled. So if you're righteous, you're going to kind of hang around waiting for the end of days when everything's going to be settled. If you're evil, you can be in a fiery pit. But if you're a good guy, you, you don't, you're not sitting and eating steak and you're not even, um, uh, sitting and learning Talmud. You're just kind of hanging around wherever you are waiting, waiting for the end of days when everything's going to be, um, to be settled. So what have we learned now that we looked at Blial in the community rule? We've looked at Blial in the Damascus document, and we've looked at Blial in the War Scroll. What have we learned about the use of Blial and the use of demonic forces in general when we think about uh, current evil and the way certainly people in the Second Temple period dealt with their own desires to sin? Can we put Blial in that context? So the answer is that Blial is not necessarily used to understand the sinning of the righteous, as opposed to what we saw with the bastard spirits, quote-unquote, the spirits of the watchers, that where there seems to be a real belief from members of the Kormon community that these spirits can enter into them and kind of battle with the laws of God. And that's the struggle that they're feeling. Between the desire to sin and the desire to be righteous, with Blial, Blial is used externally. When they talk about Blial, what are they trying to explain? They're not trying to explain their own desire to sin. On the contrary, the people who honestly believe that they want to be righteous and are trying to be righteous thank God for protecting them from Blial's influence. What does Blial explain? Blial explains that guy once again he explains that other guy who is evil or that other guy who isn't really evil i kind of like that guy but he messes up he doesn't believe in the laws he's doing the laws all wrong what is going on right so if you're reading the damascus document it's very clear that guy that i kind of like and really is not a bad guy he's fallen into one of blial's traps and we can just stand over him and shake his, shake our heads and just hope that we don't have to see, you know, him burning in a fiery pit. You know, after well, we're not going to see it because we're not going to be there because we're righteous, right? But the idea is that that in the Damascus Document certainly it explains why that guy that I kind of like, why why he is not accepting that my Yom Kippur is the right Yom Kippur, right? It Blyal also explains in the Community Rule and in the War Scroll. But say the community rule and, and in the worst Scroll explains those people that I've decided are evil, right? Whether Jews or the nations that are trying to rule Israel incorrectly. So those guys, those are under bliyah. Period. So they really are demonic. The war scroll also, at least to a certain extent, does explain why some Jews are straying, like the Damascus document, but not in quite as conciliatory a way. In other words, in the Damascus document, it's inevitable that you're gonna fall into Blial's traps. Blyal's traps means that you're, you think you're doing the right thing, when in fact you're doing the wrong thing. The only way to get, avoid Blyal's traps is to be a member of the community. If you are a hapless non-member, it's really unfortunate, but you are going to be caught in those traps whereas in the war scroll blial can help us understand right help help the audience understand why people sin because after all blial's role is to corrupt we the remnant i'm saying we as if i'm the audience right we the remnant or the speaker we the remnant have been protected from this influence so blial is always used as kind of an out as a marker of sin in other people. He's not used, unlike the watcher spirits, he's not used to explain sin within ourselves, as it were. If you're going to look for a demonic influence for that, you look to watcher spirits. Why? Um, Probably because Blial, as as a, a super powerful spirit, you have to very clearly subordinate him to God. And the Watcher Spirits, if you'll recall, even though the Book of Jubilees tries to take the Watcher Spirits and kind of subsume them into a theological system where God is at the head and Mastema is part of the heavenly court and Mastema rules the the Watcher Spirits, right, or the Watcher's Descendants Spirits, I should say, that's great for Jubilees, but that's not what's accepted by regular people who are praying. Right, That's what we saw, if you remember. People who are praying about these spirits, they see them as chaotic spirits. These are chaotic spirits, or I should say anarchic spirits, that are going into them, that are fighting with the laws of God. They call out to God for protection. They don't mention Mastema. They don't mention the heavenly court. It's very clear that if you just want to blame sinful feelings on kind of this an anarchy, and you don't want to blame it on God, the easiest way to go are the watcher spirits, and of course it's very clear from the whole myth of the watchers, because in the myth of the watchers, these spirits result from disobedience of God's orders. They're not part of God's God's, uh, intended divine structure at all. Right, They're the result of angels going against God's divine structure. And so it, they're easy, as it were, scapegoats, but not really scapegoats because the people who are calling out against them are not blaming them for the sin as much as they're asking for help. They're blaming their feelings, their desire towards sin on this idea of outside demonic influence that is not that is not blamed on God. So this is kind of a conclusion, at at least for now, in in our talks about demonic influence and and the way it was perceived in the Second Temple period, uh, particularly demonic influence to sin. I haven't talked about all the demons that they talk about in the Second Temple period. Not all the demons are, as particularly demons that were considered to just cause physical evil. I've not discussed them at all. I haven't talked about Ashmadai and Tobit for example but since we're talking about mainly understanding sin and evil I'm going to move on now and my next episode will be on the evil inclination finally moving on from demons and moving to the idea of a human evil inclination the idea that people are simply born with a desire to sin and where that where we see that idea in the Bible, and particularly in interpretation of the Bible in the Second Temple period, and where that's taken. Now, I'd like to point out, before we begin that section, that what, certainly in modern Judaism, when we think of the evil inclination, we think of the rabbinic evil inclination. The rabbinic evil inclination is almost demonic. It's a personified evil inclination. In the Bible, and in Second Temple literature, the evil inclination is usually more of a pure, just, an inclination, it's the human inclination to sin. And we're going to talk about that more next time. Now, I know you didn't hear her questions, but I will guarantee that Melissa's questions have actually really enriched this uh, session. And maybe next time you'll actually get to hear the questions, um, here's hoping. And I'm looking forward to speaking to you with you next time. As always, I look forward to your questions and comments. You can leave them on this episode at my website, understandingsin.com. Thanks, and speak to you soon. You have been listening to Understanding Sin and Evil with Dr. Miriam Brand. Learn more at understandingsin.com.